0: Sometimes we have to be reminded of what is really important in life. It is crucial that we stay on track and do not deviate from what God has in store for us. This is especially true in times of success and or transition in life. In our text, Solomon had completed the tasks of building the temple and his own palace. And virtually everything else that Solomon was anticipating building as well. So one might ask the question, what is next for Solomon? What would he now do with the rest of his life? So the theme this morning is that God appears to Solomon a second time to remind Solomon of what is important in life. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it reads, And as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he appeared to him at Gibeon. So we want to begin by giving us some background to this particular portion of Scripture. We begin with directing our attention to the timing of God's second appearance to Solomon. God appeared to Solomon after Solomon had finished both the temple and the royal palace, according to verse 1, as soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house. Now, we know from 1 Kings chapter 9 verse 10 that that whole building project took a total of 20 years, 7 for the temple, 13 for Solomon's house. As Gary Inning in his commentary points out, and I quote, the time frame of this verse is significant. Solomon had finished building the temple and the royal palace. This project had begun in the fourth year of his reign, according to 1 Kings 6.1, and it took 20 years to complete chapter 9, verse 10. Solomon was therefore at the 24th year mark of his 40-year reign. He had probably been about 20 years of age when he began to sit on the throne. So he was in his early 40s at this point, slightly more than halfway through his reign, at the prime of his life and at the top of his game as both a man and as a king. So slightly past the midway part of Solomon's reign. Solomon had by this time, experienced many accomplishments. Some of the noteworthy worthy things are as follows. He completed the temple and established a spiritual center for the worship of God. He completed the palace complex, which not only housed his family, but also served as the administrative and judicial hub of his large empire. He had solidified his kingdom and extended his influence, according to 1 Kings 4, 21 to 24. He had achieved international stature, chapter 4, 29 to 34. He had brought peace, prosperity, and blessing to the people of his nation, chapter 4, verses 20 and 25. And he had led his nation spiritually and focused them on the Lord, chapter 8, verses 65 and 66. So Solomon had accomplished a great deal. And Solomon came to the rare and notable point in his life where it says that he had built all that he wanted to build. If you look at the end of verse 1, and all that Solomon desired to build. And as you read through 1 Kings and Chronicles, you will notice that there are many, many building projects that Solomon had entered into. The point is that Solomon had done just about everything that there was to be done, and he's in his early 40s with still almost 20 years to reign. So it can easily be asked, what's next? What now? What is there left to accomplish? Solomon is at a very pivotal point in his life. And this second appearance of God was intended to focus Solomon on what yet lied ahead and the importance of Solomon remaining faithful to God in this second half of his kingship. So I think about application this morning Is the first is we need to stay focused in our lives. Especially after times of great accomplishment, after we have pretty much done the things that we had intended to do, we must be reminded that our work for God is not over. As long as God gives us breath, we need to be faithful in our service to him and always abounding in the work of the Lord. We should never deviate from the path that we first began to walk down. If we have been faithful to God. So in this second appearance, God reminds and reassures Solomon, that God has heard Solomon's prayer when the ark was brought into the temple. God reassures Solomon that God had heard the prayer of Solomon which was offered in chapter 8. Notice now in chapter 9, verse 3, And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you have made before me. I have heard your prayer and your plea which was made before me. One might wonder why God had waited so long to respond to Solomon's prayer because this is coming it says after the palace was built that means it came 20 years into his reign it means it came 13 years after the dedication of the temple and when Solomon prayed the prayer that God is referring to so why Why does God appear 13 years later to reference this prayer that had been made at the time of the dedication of the temple? Well, first, we must keep in mind that previously, God had immediately responded to Solomon's prayer at the time it was offered. Now, in the interior of your bulletin, if you just look at the... uh, uh, Just open the cover, and you'll notice inside that I have given you both the account in 1 Kings chapter 9 and the account in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 gives us some added detail that is very helpful and very significant in conjunction with the material that's given to us in 1 Kings. Now, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, picks up at the time frame of when the prayer was offered. It said, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering, the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down from the glory of the Lord, on the temple. They bowed down with their face to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good for His steadfast love endures forever. So God made his presence known and his acceptance of the prayer when that prayer was first offered. But now God appears a second time, 13 years later to reassure Solomon that indeed Solomon's prayer had been heard and would continue to be heard and answered. So the second appearance of God is a reminder. is It is a call to keep in mind what is important. God reassures Solomon that God had granted Solomon's request. Now notice verse 3 of chapter 9. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer, your plea, which you have made before me, I have, not I will, but I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. Secondly, God reassures Solomon that God would continue to be a help to Solomon and his people, for it says at the end of verse three, my eyes and my heart will be there for all time. So God is with Solomon, God is helping Solomon. God's promises are true and faithful to Solomon. But now, even more importantly, God reminds Solomon of the conditional promise that God had made regarding the continuation for the kingship. It's important to keep in mind that there are both conditional and unconditional promises in the word of God. This is a conditioned promise. That is, it is conditioned upon Solomon meeting certain requirements. God reminds Solomon of the conditional promise that God had made concerning Solomon's kingship and that of Solomon's descendants. Look at verse 4. And as for you, as for you, if, 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 you can circle that if you, if you are uh, one that uh, likes to make marks in your Bible. If, here's the condition. If you walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness. brightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then, there's the, there's the promise, okay, the condition is if, if the promise is then, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. It's important that this, to keep in mind that this is not new. This is, This is not new revelation to Solomon. This is a reminder of things that Solomon already knows, very much aware of. If you can just turn back to 1 Kings chapter eight where we were last week. Let me just read for you chapter eight, verses 22 and following uh, Solomon's word at the dedication uh, of the temple. 1 Kings 8, 22 and following. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hand toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or in earth beneath, keeping, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David my father what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it. Now notice the reference to the promise. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David my father what you have promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit on before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. So Solomon is very much aware of the promise and the condition. For going on with verse 25, now therefore, O God of Israel, I'm still in chapter 8, now therefore, O God of Israel, keep for your servant David my father what you promised him, saying, you shall not lock a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if, if, only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. So 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, don't say anything that Solomon doesn't already know. They are a reminder. But what I would uh, submit to you this morning is what God communicates to Solomon quite sobering. For there are heavy commands, heavy conditions that are placed upon this covenant. Notice verse 4 of chapter 9. And as for you, here are the conditions. If you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules. Now notice the end of verse four. Doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules. I think that one would have an immediate response of how could Solomon ever meet those conditions? How would it be
1: possible for Solomon to keep
0: the statutes and the rules? Wasn't Solomon's kingdom doomed at the start? Weren't these impossible conditions and it's very important for us to keep this in mind for there are a number of conditional promises in the word of God and as we look at those conditions our immediate response can be well I'm doomed there is no way that I can meet the conditions of God's promises and so feel hopeless to be and rather to be reassured, we are discomforted and quake with fear because these conditions seem impossible. Well, God encourages Solomon by reminding Solomon that David had fulfilled God's demands. Solomon is given David as an example and a standard of comparison. He gives Solomon David as a yardstick. For it tells us in verse 4 that Solomon is to walk as David walked. That's the measuring stick, and it will be the measuring stick throughout Kings and Chronicles. It'll always be David it always be David. With all the future kings, it keeps coming back to David. If you walk before me as David, your father, walked.
1: Then we have a description
0: of how David walked in verse 4. If you will walk before me as David, your father, walked. Now, here's the description of that walk. Here's a description of David's life. Here is God's assessment of David. Here is how God views King David. As David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm rather amazed at God's characterization of David's life. A person of integrity, of heart, uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself the question, how can it be said of David that he kept all of God's statutes And did all that God had commanded of him. Does God have amnesia? Has has God just forgotten who David is? Does God just wipe some of David's sins under the rug? Does God just turn away and, and ignore David? David was not sinless by any means. We know that he committed adultery with Bathsheba. We know that he had been responsible for the murder of her husband, Uriah. And we can go on and depict other failures of David. So the question is how then can it be said of David that he walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that God had commanded. How do you put those two things together? How do you reconcile what we know about David's life with God's assessment of David's life? Well, here we need to understand both the reality and the breadth of God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness. Repeatedly in 1 Kings chapter eight, at the dedication of the temple, we looked at it last week, and if you remember we read the words, forgive, 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 forgive. God speaks of his willingness to forgive. If you look at the interior of your bulletin, you have 2 Chronicles chapter seven there, and I like to pick up at verse 11. You can find that in that handout. 2 Chronicles seven eleven. 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. So now we're up to date and now we're at the portion of scripture that actually coincides with where we are in 1 Kings 9. The first 10 verses were back when the temple was dedicated. Now we are at where we are in our text 13 years later, thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord, the king's house, all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Then he says this, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people and the very famous verse Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven will forgive their sin and will hear their land. So here is God's promise to his people who have sinned and have sinned so grievously that they have been carried away into exile. But God says if my people which are called by my name if they humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way then I will forgive and, and I will hear their land. I, I will bring them back. I will restore them. We also need to understand the breadth of forgiveness that is taught in this passage. For Solomon had said back in 1 Kings chapter 8 again when the temple is being dedicated, Solomon said this, O Lord God of Israel there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you in all their heart. And again, it seems like on the one hand God comforts us by saying he has steadfast love and then rips the carpet right out from under us by saying for those who walk with God with all their heart. (laughs) So, you know, wow, that's great, God has steadfast love, but you gotta walk with all your heart, who who does that? Who does that? God's steadfast love, that unending, uh, enduring love, that steadfast love is associated with his forgiveness. Again, last week showed you four occasions where Psalm is praying for God's forgiveness but but just listen to Psalm well, First Kings verse 80. Listen to the plea of your servant and of your people when they pray toward this place and Listen in heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear forgive, forgive, forgive. It's going to say four times. Now listen to what the psalmist has to say. Psalm 103. Starting in verse 8. You don't need to turn there. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. There's our term. Abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as, the, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. There it is again. Same phraseology, same terms. So great is his steadfast love towards those that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So those who God has steadfast love for are not those who are sinless and are perfect, but those whose transgressions had been removed
1: far from us. How
0: far? As far as the east is from the west. They are gone. Our sins are gone. Now, we know that David repented and sought the Lord's forgiveness for his sins. And we know specifically that David repented and sought forgiveness for his sins as it relates to both uh, uh, Asheba and Uriah. We know that because we're given Psalm 32 and we're given Psalm 51. Both of them written out of those occasions. Both of them depicting David's forgiveness and repentance and asking God for restoration. It is because God had forgiven David his sins that it could be said of David that God's statutes and rules were kept. Back to 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 4, and as for you if you walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness do according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules how could that be said because David had been forgiven because David's sins had been removed because they were not accounted to him any longer it
1: was as though they weren't committed
0: that is the only reason that it can be said That David had walked with integrity before God. And so in Psalm 32, David says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity.
1: Blessed is the
0: one whose sins are forgiven. They're covered. The one who God does not count iniquity. David's sins
1: were not counted against him.
0: God forgave those sins and characterized David as righteous. And one who had walked with God. Application. God's conditional promises include the concept of grace and forgiveness. Through the forgiveness and grace of God, one can meet the conditional promises, the criteria that God sets forth. We will always with an emphasis on the word always fail to meet the conditions of God's promises. If we're trusting in our own goodness, if we're trusting in our own righteousness, even after we are saved, for God to bless us based on our conduct and lives, we're in trouble. Not just for salvation. We are in trouble today if we are just counting upon our good works and lives to result in God's blessing. It's because God forgives us that we can meet the conditions of his promises, which should bring us great comfort, peace of mind, and reassurance when we read these conditional promises. Our sins can and will be forgiven. We can be found acceptable and pleasing in God's sight. It can be said of you and of me, if we are people of contrite and broken hearts and seek God's forgiveness, It can be said of you and me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. We are faithful in connection with the righteousness that God gives us. We are faithful in connection with the obedience that Jesus has secured for us. Now having said that, it is also important to keep in mind what David did not do. There was much that was to be commended about David. There is much to to be praiseworthy, and we can't lose sight of it because it's crucial. It's crucial what is praiseworthy in David. That is, David did not go after other gods. David, when he sinned, did not begin to worship, praise, or seek a relationship to a God other than the true and living God, the God of Israel, Jehovah God. Going after other gods seems to be the crux of the matter in this passage. Look with me at 1 Kings 9, verse six. But, okay, here's if you don't meet the condition. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have commanded you, but, so here seems to be the crucial, all right? The, the, The contrast between keeping the statutes is the end of verse six, but go and serve other gods and worship them. So there's the contrast. And it rears its head again in verse nine, if you look with me there. Then they will say, when they ask, why did all these things come upon them? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord brought this disaster upon them. So the disaster comes specifically because they laid hold on other gods and worshiped them, and served them. This is so important to keep in mind, because it's going to explain for us the rest of Kings and Chronicles. It's going to explain for us the rest of Israel's history. Because Solomon would and did Go after other gods. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 11, starting at verse 4, you don't have to, I'll read it, but 1 Kings eleven four, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. So you see the contrast between David and Solomon is that Solomon did not wholly stand true to the Lord his God, but he went after other gods. And it goes on to say in verse 5, for Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Nocom, the abomination of the Ammonites, so Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. So it is specific as to what David had not done and what Solomon did do. Solomon did not, excuse me, David did not go after other gods. Solomon went after other gods, and it's because he does that now the kingdom is going to be divided. And I'm not going to go all the, the future elements of this. You'll see it very clearly as I work our way for, through 1 Kings. It's because Solomon went after other gods, and then the other kings are going to start building idols and places of worship, they have forsaken the soul worship of God. They have forsaken the soul worship of God. They are not seeking God's forgiveness and repentance. Instead, they are replacing God with a God of their own desire and making. So in our passage God reminds Solomon of the dire consequences of worshiping other gods. Now I'm back to 1 Kings chapter 9. The first consequence is that they will be taken into captivity, verse 7. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them. They're going to go into captivity, and in captivity they will go. B, this is God's people will no longer experience his watchful care and deliverance. Verse 7, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. Cast out of my sight. That stands in complete contrast and is opposite to what he says in chapter 9, verse 3 My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. It's conditioned. It's conditioned. Others will be amazed at how God's people have fallen, verse seven. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have driven them. The house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. Now this third element, and Israel will become a proverb, a byword among the peoples. Still others will be amazed at the destruction of the temple, verse eight. And the house will become a heap of ruins. This temple will be destroyed.
1: It's just been built, and it's fabulous. But God says, you go after other gods? This temple is going to be destroyed. However, the destruction should be understood.
0: Not as God's weakness or failure, but rather God's judgment on the continual refusal of his people to repent. Verse 9, then they will say, when they ask the question, let's go back to verse 8, and this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss, and they will say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Verse 9, then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and lay hold on other gods, And worship them and serve them. Therefore, the Lord has brought this disaster on them. Because they have forsaken other gods, worshiped them, served them. Therefore, the Lord brought all these disasters on them. Therefore, the call is to repent. To seek the Lord. Our Second Chronicles passage in your bulletin. Second Chronicles 7.13. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain. Or command the locusts to devour the land. Or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name. Will humble themselves and pray. And seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. Will forgive their sin. And will hear, heal their land. God will restore them. God will bless them again if they seek his forgiveness. And of course, the whole story of the Old Testament, the big picture, is that they are in captivity for 70 years because they have forsaken the Lord and worshiped other gods. And after 70 years, they repent, they seek God's forgiveness. We have Daniel's prayer, we have the book of Jeremiah and God hears, God heals, God forgives, they come back to the land, the city is rebuilt, the temple is rebuilt, they are healed, they are restored, they are forgiven. They never were, they never could be perfect. But what they needed to be was a humble people who sought
1: the Lord's forgiveness for their disobedience.
0: And the marvelous message of grace is when God forgives us our sins are no longer counted against us. Because of the perfect work and blood of Jesus Christ, you and I can be viewed, counted, counted as sinless, which is an incredible, incredible thought that we can be counted as sinless before God because of what Jesus has done for us. He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now think of that phrase, the righteousness of God, God's perfect holiness. We can become through Christ. Through Christ. Through Christ, all the conditions of the Word of God are met. And apart from Christ we will never ever meet the conditions
1: of God's blessings in the scriptures. What we need to do
0: is constantly seek God's forgiveness for our shortcomings our failures. We should Guard our hearts and our minds. We, we should seek to live righteously and holy. But I tell you, what we have to, to really sweat over, if you will, is staying true to God, to take stock in our lives. How are we doing in following through on our initial commitments to God Are we allowing time, success, and prosperity to steal our hearts away from God? Solomon, who had known so much blessing, ends up worshiping other gods, and and you scratch your head and you say, how can that be? How can he go there? How how can he do that? May we guard our hearts that we never depart from worshiping God the true and living God. That we don't replace our faith, our trust, our confidence in anyone or any other thing. That we fail to recognize that all that we have is a result of God's grace and he deserves our praise, he deserves our glory, he deserves our service, he deserves our worship. To think that Solomon who built a temple
1: for God is going to in the future build places of worship for false gods. Mind boggling if you will. David never did that. (laughs) David never walked down that road. David was a person of integrity. David was one
0: who sought the Lord's heart. David was one when he sinned, and sin he did, and sinned grievously. But when he sinned, he sought God's forgiveness. And the God who promises to hear. The God who promises to grant his forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's faithful. He's just. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all
1: unrighteousness.
0: Let us rejoice this morning in God's faithfulness. Let us have confidence as we read the word of God. Let's not quake in fear as we read so many conditional promises in the scripture, but may it just humble us and say, yes, Lord, but that's not me. Forgive me. Make me right. Make me forgiven in your sight by the blood of Jesus Christ and help me to do better. Help me To truly be transformed. Help me day by day. To live more righteously. More holy. But never thinking that it's because of my personal obedience. That I'm going to be blessed of you. But to recognize Lord. That that's what you deserve. And that's what's best for me. And that's what's best for others. Because Solomon's sins are going to have consequences. Not just for himself. But for the nation. And all the sins we commit have not only consequences for ourselves, it has consequences for our family. It has consequences for our church. It has consequences for our community. It has consequences for the reputation and glory of God. So may we have hearts that hunger and thirst after righteousness. But may our confidence never be in our own personal righteousness, but in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Wonderful, what a wonderful passage as we think of God's assessment of David and as we think of standing
1: before the judgment seat of Christ to know
0: that we will be holy and without blame before him because of Jesus Christ, his shed blood that has taken away our sin. Let's pray. Almighty God, Lord, help us to rejoice, help us to give thanks, help us to praise you as we read a passage such as this that depicts the faithfulness of David and to realize that when we confess our sins before you that we are washed we are made anew we, we are cleansed from all unrighteousness Lord may it warm our hearts and give us confidence of your steadfast love that will endure forever for it includes your willingness to forgive Lord may we realize that all of the conditional promises of the word of God can be met as we humbly acknowledge our sin and trust in Jesus, not our own selves, for the meeting of the requirements of your word. May we always be reminded, even as Paul wrote, to the, book, wrote the book of Galatians and said to the Galatians, oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Are you now made perfect? Have you begun in faith? My works? The answer was no. Lord, may our confidence always be solely in the blood, death, resurrection of the Lord Jesus, who stands before you, interceding for us. Lord, guard our hearts and minds so we do not wander from and worship other gods. Lord, help us to understand the difference, the difference between struggling with daily sins and actually turning our back and beginning to worship, to find in false gods, to to find in pagan representations of you that which we deem to be valuable or of worth. But Lord, may we be steadfast in our worship of you. And may that worship include our quick response to seek your forgiveness for all of our sins. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.
1: Amen.